Children, you are dismissed to teach me to worship. And if you haven't already, please turn your Bibles, turn to your Bibles with me to John chapter 21. It's on page 907 of your hymnal Bible if you didn't bring your own. If I were to ask you for a summary of what you've done over the past two years, what would you start with? What would, be consi- what would that story consist of? I don't know if you've realized, but it was February of 2021 that we began our study in John's Gospel. I think, if my accounting is correct, we're somewhere between the 53rd and 54th Lord's Day walking through this, this book, verse by verse. And this is where we left off. Jesus has appeared to his disciples after he was crucified. Someone who had died, rose from the grave, is now speaking, showing, and teaching the disciples. As I said last week, we see in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, the conclusion of John's gospel. And in that conclusion, John does what a good writer does. He concludes by telling us everything that he showed us before. And last week we went through, and what I I tried to do last week is we went through and looked at some of these things, some of these themes, these signs that Jesus had done to reveal to his disciples, to reveal to the people who came to Jesus who he truly was. That's why John chapter 1 through chapter 12 is called the book of the signs. And John brings in lots of different themes throughout the book. And then John chapter 13, we see a shift, a shift in the writing when Jesus goes into this upper room with the disciples and chapters 13 to 20 speak of the glory of Christ. It's called the book of glory with a smaller division of chapters 13 to 17 and 18 to 20. And as John was writing this section, chapter 21, he's informing the reader he's not quite done. Now, whether he was writing this on parchment paper or papyri, He felt that this was so important that all the church would know for all of history what Jesus did next. Something that I'm going to make a suggestion. Um, We've been in John's gospel for two years. My guess is that you've forgotten some of the things that have been said about John's gospel over two years. Maybe, maybe this week, or maybe through Advent, here's, here's what I recommend. Let's sit down together as families or as individuals, and let's read all of John's gospel in one sitting. 21 chapters. I, I know for some of you that's 21 chapters more than you've read of anything else this year. But let's sit down and let's read, and let's not miss what John is trying to teach us. 
what John so masterfully put together in this single book, what he's trying to teach us from beginning to end, because who he's trying to show us is Jesus himself. And this morning as we come to this epilogue, this final chapter in this book, along with the signs that we saw in the first 11 chapters, along with the great miracle of his death and resurrection from the dead, John is trying to reveal to this people, Jesus is not dead. And in fact, this gospel narrative is focusing us in on what Jesus still has yet to do. But this is what I struggled with this week. My biggest struggle this week was, was actually what I'm not going to say. Because here's the problem with John chapter 21. A lot of people have said a lot of things, and a lot of it doesn't make any sense. A lot of co- there's commentators, there's scholars that talk about what Jesus says, what the disciples do here in John chapter 21. But I have to be honest with you, what I struggled with this week is how do we make sense of this? How are we supposed to know what to read and what to believe? Because that's the major theme of John's gospel. These things were written so that you might believe. So that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So what is John doing here? Because what most commentators talked about, what most commentators said that the meaning of this passage was and the implications and the applications of what this text says, I'm actually not convinced that they were right. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying I'm smarter than all these men and women. I'm not saying that I have some key in this office that just reveals what the text is about. But here's what I am saying. It is very important of what we do with God's word. It is very important that when we read scripture, we don't just get to say what we think it might mean because it makes us feel good. That there's true authorial intent. intent, That the author wrote these words for a purpose to elicit a response from its readers. And unfortunately, I'm afraid that many commentators, many pastors have gone away from what John is actually trying to teach. And what I want us to look at this morning is I want us to look at what the text says. And I want us to remember the themes throughout John's gospel. And we're going to look at two other gospels. And I want us to be able to read this so that we might hear Jesus, so that we might see Jesus, and so that we might do what every good biblical interpreter should do, is look at the response of what the disciples do. Because if we are true disciples of Jesus, we will act in the same way that they did. Because what the disciples are called to do in this passage is to follow Jesus. 
And that's what Jesus is doing with us this morning. He's looking at all of us as he looked at Peter on, this, on that beach, and he's saying, follow me. Before we look at the text, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, there is nothing that I can say this morning that will change a heart, that will change anyone's mind. But Father, we ask for your spirit to be poured upon us. That you will soften our hearts. That you will open our ears. That you will unveil our eyes to see Christ. Give us hope for the future. And Lord, we lift up the prayers for people in this congregation who are hurting. For Cynthia Jaqua, for Claire Reddit, and Dr. Lynch. For Miss Jane Ray. For all those who have been sick this week. Lord, we ask for your healing and for your blessing. Father, we pray for our church. That this church might shine the light of Jesus into this community that you have placed us. We pray for our students this morning who are at CPYC. Lord, I pray that this was a fruitful weekend where they heard the good truths of the gospel, of the good news of what Jesus has done for them, that he's calling them to follow him by faith. Father, we come to you with, with a need. Please bring us a new youth director, someone to lead our students in the truth of the gospel, who will love them as you have loved us, who will be intentional in their lives, who will point them to Christ. Father, we pray for this community and for the other churches in this community. Lord, may your people be enriched throughout this county by hearing the gospel proclaimed that Jesus really did rise from the dead. We pray for Austin Brash, the minister, the RUF minister at Ole Miss. Lord, bless his first year there. Give him strength. Give him to see those who are in need. To call repentance from those who need to repent. And to give grace on those who are weak in spirit. Father, we pray for our president. We pray for all of our senators and our representatives who are in office. Lord, may they lead with justice and truth as you are a God of justice and truth. May they stand for your righteousness. Please continue to bring up your people through your church and place them in public office, so they might serve you 
by giving direction to this, this nation, this state, this county. Father, we pray for the persecuted church across the world. Lord, there were Christians that met today in basements and locked doors because they were afraid that those around them might hear them and that they might be persecuted for what they believe. Father, give them hope. Give them hope for what is to come when you will return in glory. We lift up Mark and Liz Shivey. Bless their ministry. Bless their marriage and bless their family. Give them strength to follow you in righteousness and in truth. And Father, now we pray as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning, I want us to look at three things. I want us to see how the disciples go as Jesus told them to go. I want us to see how the disciples met with Jesus. I want us to see how the disciples were told to follow Jesus. So here's what we are told about this text. Seven disciples go to the Sea of Tiberias. So Tiberias was a city on the Sea of Galilee. So the Sea of Tiberias is a smaller portion of the Sea of Galilee. But we have seven disciples. Five of them are named. We are told that Peter was here, that Thomas and Nathaniel and the sons of Zebedee, who are James and John. And then we are told that there are two unnamed disciples who go to the Sea of Tiberias. And it's interesting, if you look back in John chapter 1, we are told that there are two unnamed disciples that heard what Jesus said and they followed him. They were following John the Baptist, and now they were going to follow Jesus. And then in John chapter 1, verse 40, we are told one of the names of the two. One of them was Andrew, Simon's brother, who decided to follow Jesus. But here, we actually aren't for sure. We have two unnamed disciples who are following Jesus. Seven in total. Here's what else we are told. Peter seems to be the leader of this group of seven, right? Peter is named first in the list, beginning in verse 2. Simon Peter, he's right at the front. Second, we see in verse 3, he seems the one that's, that's directing this group. He's the one with a bright idea of, you know, let's go fishing. I've never had that idea in my life of let's go fishing. And then all the others follow Peter. And then this is also what we read. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. 
Jesus came and met with disciples. And then we see that Jesus prepares a meal and invites the disciples to have communion, a communion meal with him. But listen to this. This is also what we see. This is what we hear from this text. Jesus restores his disciples. The first of these things is we see that the disciples go to Galilee. Here's where we come to our first problem. Why do they go to Galilee? Many of the commentators that I read, many of the sermons that I listened to, automatically assume that the disciples are being unfaithful. Jesus has just risen from the dead. He has just revealed himself twice to the disciples in this room that was locked. And then Jesus leaves and the disciples decide to go to Galilee. Galilee was a very prominent place throughout John's gospel. Galilee was the first place that John, that John records Jesus performing a miracle it was in Cana, in Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. Over and over and over in John's gospel, Jesus returns to Galilee. When Peter was preaching to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, we see him say, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism of Je- that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This was a familiar place. This is where Peter, Andrew, James, and John were all from. They fished this sea for their profession before they left everything and followed Jesus. These are all great reasons to return to Galilee. But why did they go back to Galilee? Because Jesus told them to. We are told in Mark chapter 14, verse 18, that when he was reclining at the table and eating with them, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me who is eating with me. But then I want you to go to Galilee. I want you to meet me there. Jesus is telling the disciples before his death and resurrection, After I die, go to Galilee. Then in Luke 24, we are told that the angels told the women who came to the tomb, He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you when he was still with you, go to Galilee. And then in Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells Mary Magdalene, Do not be afraid. Go to your brothers and tell them, go to Galilee, and there they will be with me. You see, the disciples don't go to Galilee because they're faithless. The disciples go to Galilee because they're being faithful. Jesus has told them to do something, and that is what they do. I say that that because it blew my mind how many people said automatically the disciples are being faithless. And it really made me wonder, as a minister of the gospel, how often 
we assume that when what we do something, we are automatically being faithless. When we as the people of God are truly trying to live by faith and follow what we think God has told us, and we are trying to be faithful. Hear what I say to you. Thank you for trying to be faithful to the word of God. It is a true mark of a disciple that you hear the words of Jesus and that you try to follow him by faith. And I promise you, it's very, very hard. You know it's hard. I know it's hard. But we are called. We are called to be faithful to what Jesus has said. And this is what we see. This is what we see Jesus do in this passage. We see Jesus, the faithful one. Because he called his disciples to go do something, and then what does he do? He meets his disciples where he told them to go. Isn't that an interesting story of our life? How so hard sometimes it is to actually do what we think that God is calling us to do. Maybe to give up something that God is calling us to give up. Yet we hear over and over again that God is calling us to be faithful. And we're just not quite sure, is Jesus going to fulfill his promises? But this is what we see in this text. Jesus is the faithful one. He never leaves his disciples out to dry. Jesus does what he says he will always do. He fulfills what he promises to his people. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy as we get there or as we're going. But what it means is that Jesus will meet us exactly where he tells us he will meet us. For this is what the text says. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore Using the same theme that Jesus has used from the beginning of the book, we see as the disciples were fishing. They were fishing at night. That might not be significant for some of you, but why would, it, why would fishermen fish at night? Well, they didn't have freezers. They had to go catch the fish at night so that the next day they could sell them in the market because the fish would have gone bad. But at the same time, John is using this true concept of what the disciples are doing and running along this concurrent theme throughout the gospel. Just as we saw in John chapter 20, the women went to the tomb at night. And when does Jesus reveal himself? At the break of the dawn. This theme of darkness and light. The disciples were out fishing at night, and then when dawn breaks, Jesus is standing on the shore Jesus reveals himself out of the darkness to the disciples. And then listen, listen to what Jesus asked them. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? That's a really tough question to ask people who have been fishing all night, right? Because either it's going to be, oh, we caught a lot of fish. Or it's going to be really discouraging. We didn't catch any fish. 
Now take that one level deeper. These were professional fishermen. Professional fishermen out to fish, and Jesus has the gall. How was last night? Did you guys catch anything? And the way that Jesus addresses them, I'm going to come back to. But Jesus, them, Jesus is asking them a question. How's it going? And listen to what the disciples say. They say, no. We haven't caught anything. And this is what Jesus tells them. He gives them, you know, the bright idea. Cast your nets on the right side, on starboard side. And so they did. And this is what we are told. They cast the nets on the right side of the boat, and they were unable to haul it in because the quality of fish, sorry, the quantity of fish. And then, then, then John just slips this in here. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved knew it was the Lord. How do you think he knew that? Well, the text doesn't tell us. The text doesn't actually tell us how John knew this. But Luke does tell us. We, we read it in Luke chapter 5, our scripture reading. A, a very, very similar story when Jesus is calling his disciples to follow him. They're out at night fishing. They've been fishing all night, and they haven't caught anything. And Jesus stands on the shore, and he says, cast your nets on the other side. And he gives their net. He fills their nets with fish. And John remembers that story. This has happened before. And there's only one person who could tell us to cast our nets on the other side and fill our nets. And it's Jesus. And he's standing on the shore. And then we see Peter do what we see Peter do all the time. Peter can't wait for anybody. Just as when he got to the tomb and he just barged in, Peter puts his clothes on, he jumps out of the boat, and he swims as fast as he can to see Jesus. And this is where um, I, I, I'm doing some, some editing of the Bible. I'm, I'm not really doing editing of the Bible, but in your Bibles... There's a heading above chapter 15. Some of your Bibles, there will be a heading. It says, Jesus and Peter. Now, if you have a personal Bible, I want you to scribble that out. If, Well, let me say this before, before you scribble it out. I want us to move this heading from verse 15, and I want us to put it right here at verse, on verse 9. And here's why. Where have we seen this charcoal fire before? The disciples all come in. They all know it's Jesus. And we have Jesus standing by this charcoal fire. Where have we seen that before? Well, if you remember, there's a charcoal fire in John chapter 18, verse 18. And that's where Peter stood next to the fire, warming himself, when he denied that he knew Jesus three times. 
But then look at what this text does. Look at what it says. Actually, look with me at what it doesn't say. Jesus doesn't ask Peter to repent. Jesus doesn't speak angrily to Peter. Jesus actually doesn't say anything about the past, about what Peter has done. And I don't think he says anything because I don't think this passage is about Peter's past. Because Jesus asked this question. He knows Peter's past. But he asked Peter this question three times. Do you love me? Now, there's many scholars who think that there's more to read because Jesus used a different Greek word the last time he asked that question. I'm not convinced. I think John uses this word for love interchangeably. But Jesus asked three times, Peter, do you love me? He's not asking Peter about the past. He's asking Peter about the present. He's asking Peter to state what is true about him. Because you have to remember, this isn't the first time Peter has seen the risen Jesus. Peter was in the room with him the two other times that Jesus appeared. And I believe that John's intent of this chapter, of this epilogue, isn't to show us that Peter has to repent three times for his three sins. No, I believe that what John is trying to reveal to us is what's true of a faithful disciple of Jesus. Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter states what's true about him. Jesus, you know that I love you. Jesus, you know that I love you. This is what's true about Peter. And this is what we see about the hope of the gospel. Is that Jesus can use even people that deny him. Jesus can use people who have sinned against him. Jesus can use faithless Peter to do great things for his kingdom. Because this is what Jesus does. He tells Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Three times. And in John, this theme of feeding is the word. We see this in John chapter 6 and John chapter 17. But if you remember in John chapter 10, what does Jesus say in verse 16? For I have other sheep that are not in my fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus isn't asking for Peter to repent from his sin. Jesus is preparing Peter for something greater. 
for taking the word of Christ so that God's flock might hear his voice, so they might feed on the word of the risen Jesus, that Jesus is not dead, so that his sheep might be brought into the kingdom. And this is what Jesus has just showed them. You cannot do what I'm calling you to do if I'm not there. That's why their nets were empty. Their nets were empty because they were trying to do their work without Christ himself. And then Christ shows up, and then we saw what happened. Their nets were full. And now this does two things for us. And we are supposed to understand this really in two different ways. One is that there is a special place for Peter in the ministry of Jesus. Think about this. A professional fisherman from Galilee is restored to proclaim the word of Christ to his sheep, and he goes to Jerusalem at Pentecost and preaches the greatest sermon ever recorded. And people heard and they believed. Peter does have a historic importance in the church. Now, we don't believe that he has such a historical importance as the Roman Catholic Church, but we have right here that Peter was important. Peter was a leader of these disciples. But it's by God's grace that Peter's able to do what he has called them to do. And we should thank God for that ministry of Peter. Because this text also tells us something about Peter. In verse 18, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he, Peter, was to glorify God. Church history tells us that Peter was crucified for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. This Peter that Jesus restored, restored him knowing where that gospel ministry would lead him. And this is what Jesus says, follow me. Now the second importance about that is what's interesting about this is that we, we still have two unnamed disciples. We don't know why they're unnamed. But this is what's incredible about this passage. Very well, they could be unnamed because we are called to insert our own names into those places. Because if we are true disciples of Jesus, we will hear this calling Follow me. Because my sheep need to be fed. And listen, listen how God's how Jesus speaks to these disciples. Go back, go back to um, verse chapter five. 
children. Another theme of John's gospel. From the very beginning, those who have their eyes open to the light, to the truth of Jesus Christ, will be called children of God. In John chapter 13, he says, Little children, if you love me, you will do what I command. And here in John chapter 21, he finds his disciples doing the only thing they knew how to do, and he says, children. Beloved of God, those who have been purchased, adopted by our great king who, are, who has come into his kingdom, I am restoring you to do a job. To do a job. We are all called to do our job, whether that's in the workplace, whether it's in a church, whether it's in a school, whether it's at the gym, wherever it is, we have been called to do a job, and Jesus has restored us to do that job for the glory of Christ and the good of his kingdom, and if you're trying to do it without Jesus, you will never succeed. You can succeed at the job in itself without Jesus. But you can never succeed at your job, what you've been called to do. Whether it's working in the workplace, whether it's parenting, whether it's being a student, being a faithful child. We can never do what we've been called to do to restore God's kingdom if we aren't doing it in the name of Christ. Because here's where I disagree with all these commentators. My ring just fell off. That's not a sign or a symbol of anything. Here, here's where I disagree with all these commentators. This story isn't about Peter. This story is about Jesus. It's Jesus that promised them and fulfilled his promise. It's Jesus that sought them out wherever they were, and it's Jesus that calls his disciples to follow him. John is ending his gospel right where he started it. It's all about Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves, are we being faithful to Jesus? Are we doing what we are called to do as disciples to follow Jesus? Now, whether it's your first time this morning where you hear Jesus call you, just like the disciples did in Luke chapter 5, or whether you've been following for a, Jesus for a long time and you're just not quite sure how to do that faithfully, hear the words of Christ. Follow me, and I will be with you to the end of the age. This is our hope. This is our Christ, and he is faithful to his promises. Let's pray. Father, cause us to be faithful. Work in us that which we cannot do ourselves to follow you by faith. 
empower us with your spirit. May we be assured of our salvation in Christ. And Lord, may we do a good work, not a work that we try to gain the reward, but that we might do a work that you might receive glory. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.